Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better, Tim. We had such a great morning coming into Wormtown. Yes. Checking out the city. Yes. The development that's going on. Yes. Something that will be uh, we will be incorporated into soon. That's right. Very exciting. Something to talk about soon, but not, not now. quite yet. That's what we call a tease in the biz. That's right. But Lance, here today we have our old friend, a good friend, Mike Morford, the guy who has uh, launched a lot of podcasts, the man of a million podcasts, Mike Morford. And this year is another one. It's called Scene of the Crime that we're talking to Mike about today. If Mike Morford was around during the biblical times, he would be bringing in two of each podcast into his arc. He literally has 500 podcasts. And congrats to him because he finally made a list. He finally made a best podcast list, the coveted um, Marie Claire list. That's right. Yeah, he made uh, the scene of the crime, made um, the Marie Claire top true crime podcast list from just a few weeks ago. And uh, our buddies at Criminal Perspective, Chris Duet and Andrew Dodge, they made that list as well. Dark horses right there. I know, right? So congrats to them as well. And a special shout out to Esther Hilton, who has been talking a lot about this list on Twitter over the past couple weeks. Um, this might raise her eyebrows to see that we're actually doing an interview with Mike Morford about this podcast because she uh, sort of swore it off based yeah, on uh, on her tweets. Yeah, it's a controversial interview now. <laughs> we, but it's not. We certainly did not plan it this way. Uh, again, congrats to Criminal Perspective. Congrats to everybody who made the list. Yes. Uh, congrats to Mike Morford for Scene of the Crime, which is tackling... Uh, more details about the terrible, uh, tragic, uh, the Delphi killings. Yes, Abby and Libby were murdered in Delphi, Indiana. And so this show, The Scene of the Crime from Mike Morford, talks about that case and in depth, too. And uh, so it's a great deep dive into that tragic, tragic case. And when you listen to Mike talk about this show during this interview, you know you're going to be getting a genuine product from him. Okay, so we'll throw it to the interview in just a moment. But before we do, we wanted to mention some new shows on the Crawl Space Network. We have brought one along that uh, is called Believe It or Don't. It's kind of like a game, uh, sort of like a comedy podcast. It's a lot of fun. It's real niche, which is what I think uh, drew us to it. It's not true crime. It's comedy. It, it, it really focuses on the minutia of tv shows from the 90s especially <laughs> the uh factor fiction show with uh jonathan frakes that's and right it's hosted by the hilarious Kristen and caleb have an amazing chemistry together they're hilarious to listen to they bring on certain guests uh friends of theirs people in the gaming industry they'll be bringing on guests of the crawl space network some of our creators will uh that's right will be on that show i'm sure us too at some point hopefully yeah hopefully uh but there's there's so many great moments in in their episodes so check that out and uh check out all the shows on the crawl space media network check it out at crawlspace-media.com we also did a, a new episode of beyond strange world that uh that we aired on tuesday of this week Astute listeners of this show may remember Beyond Strange World as the eight-episode miniseries we did back in the summer and fall of 2019 that was sort of based on Travel Channel's show Strange World. So now we're kind of picking that feed back up and starting to do more original content on it because... Well, it's just it's fun to talk about that kind of stuff, and and it's fun to talk to Christopher Garantano. Exactly, Christopher Garantano, the host of Strange World, and also uh, sort of a Renaissance man of his of his own making, is uh, a fascinating person. I will tell him any dark secret because I feel like he just breaks down these barriers when you have a conversation with him. He always tries to find the 
reasoning and origins and sort of the 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 mental makeup of why we do certain things, why campfires are popular. Where where where's the origin of the campfire story or uh, why do we care so much about ghosts? It's not so much like, oh, here's a ghost. Now we're scared. It's like, why is it like this? Where did that come from? He always tries to break things down to make whatever he's producing into something a little bit more thoughtful. Agreed. And it's a lot of fun on Beyond Strange World. So check that out. There's a link in the show notes to our website. You can find all the new shows and all the shows on the Crawlspace Network there listed on the website. And we got some travel notes that we want to put out there. Uh, big announcement. We are going to CrimeCon. CrimeCon in Orlando, yes. Florida, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. That is the first weekend in May. And Tim, you and I are going to be there on Thursday. Yes. And there's some rumors percolating about a live event of some sort with our buddies uh, Christopher Duet and Andrew Dodge of Criminal Perspective. Yeah, well, Chris lives down there in Orlando anyway, so it, it would uh, behoove us to, uh, to do something like that. So that may happen. Uh, more on that soon. One more quick piece of information. On Saturday, April 4th, at the King Avenue United Methodist Church, there'll be the March for the Missing. This is in Columbus, Ohio. And there'll be people from all over talking about Brian Schaefer's case and family members of other missing people in the area. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot both make it, but one of us will be there. And I, I do believe that we have some appearances from Captain from True Crime Garage. So if you're looking for something to do for a good cause, Saturday, April 4th, the King Avenue United Methodist Church. It's exactly central to the Ohio State College of Medicine, where Brian Schaefer attended. Swing down there from 1 to 4, and you can get some information about uh, Brian Schaefer, other missing people, and you can talk with myself and Captain and anyone else you want to talk to in the true crime community. Okay, thanks for hanging in there for the announcements, and hope you enjoy this interview with Mike Morford of Scene of the Crime. Check out Scene of the Crime. Links in the show notes. Welcome to Crawl Space, Mike Morford. What's going on, Morph? What's going on, guys? Morph. Oh, God. Seventh appearance, Seventh I think? or eighth? Yeah, I'm starting to feel like I should be on the payroll with you guys. I should be uh, partnered up with you. Well, probably should. you really should. We've uh, drafted up some business documents and a proposal for you, so we'll have our uh, HR person send that along and uh, to your HR person and see if we can uh, broker a deal, as they say in the biz. Yeah, have your people talk to my people, and we'll we'll put it together. Basically, yeah, that's it. I know maybe yeah. uh, because you're on the show so often, maybe people think, oh, these guys don't have anything to talk to talk about, so they uh, reach out to Morph as like their uh, fall, you know, their their safety net, their fallback plan. But you always have stuff to, that's going on, and we actually talk about some pretty uh, relevant uh, case stuff, um, including new podcasts that you seem to release every. Uh, every wednesday you have a, a brand new series yeah it, it seems like that sometimes like i'm like you guys i'm trying to keep up with you good luck. <laughs> well good luck yeah good luck with that so tell us about your new podcast scene the scene of the crime so scene of the crime is a new podcast that's uh out right now and it's one that i co-produced um i wanted to step back a little bit from behind the microphone and, and put a podcast together to help tell stories about some of the cases that people want to hear about. And in season one, we were covering, covering the Delphi murders of um, Abby and, and Libby that so many people know about. 
but it, I'm always surprised when I hear that there's people across this country that just don't know about it. They don't realize that, hey, what happened? I didn't hear about that. And I, I think it's because not everyone is tuned in to true crime like we all are. So we just take it as a given that everybody in this country knows about the case. And that's just not the, not the case because some people just don't pay attention as much as the rest of us. So we really wanted to spread that story and, and do a podcast featuring that case in season one. That's a pretty bold move because even though you said you're surprised how many people don't know about it, a lot of people do know about it and it does get a lot of coverage. So kudos to you for you know, trying to explore this even deeper. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really big story. And, and one thing that we, the team that I have together on it is, is just fantastic. Libby's sister, Kelsey, who you've had on your show, she's a co-producer, um, and she helped us get some interviews and, and talk to some people for us to actually help put it together. And obviously she was instrumental in, in talking to some of the people we talked to, but um, you know, my co-producers are Jessica Betancourt, who's a tremendous uh, researcher and writer. Oh yeah. We know her. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Gray Hughes, who's a, um, uh, a really good technical guy when it comes to the Delphi case, he knows the, the footage of everything, the distances, the the facts and details about the case. So we sort of combine that to try and tell an accurate story and combine all of the uh, the material together so that we could, you know, present the story to everyone in a in a a manner that was easy to follow. And we left out a lot of the a lot of the nonsense and the rumors and, and stuff like that because in this case, unfortunately, there's a lot of that. Um, and, and we tried yeah. to leave that behind. So when, when people listen to the podcast, hopefully they don't hear anything like that that comes across as, as that we're going to be fact-based and um, try and be as pre- precise as possible. Ah, come on, more. If everyone likes a good gossip pod. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of that out there. If, if somebody wants to hear gossip about this case, they can just Google. There's, you know, 50 Facebook groups covering the case. Um, and, and not all of them are good, unfortunately. Um, and a lot of them spread rumors and innuendos and, and nonsense. Um, so we wanted to steer clear of that. If somebody wants to find that, it's easy enough to find. But if they want the facts and the details and to hear from the families and the people involved in the case themselves, then they can they can listen to the podcast. Do you ever anticipate a, a, an episode where you talk about potential suspects? Or is that something that you would uh, think falls into that uh, bucket of rumor and innuendo. We do have a, an episode coming up later in the season that does touch on the suspects only because they've been named publicly. Uh-huh. Um, they're, they're ones that police looked at. Some of the, some of them are ones that police confirmed that they've looked at. Um, so we do touch on, on a handful of suspects only because they're already out there in, in the public spotlight, but we don't really go too far. You know, one thing with this case in particular, it's, it's like every single person uh, on some groups throws up a, a picture of a person and says, hey, this person looks just like them. Let me do a side-by-side and post a Facebook link to their page, and you can go check them out for yourself. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like everybody within a 100-mile radius that looks anything remotely like what they think the sketch looks like, they're a suspect. We, we didn't go down that trail. We sort of stuck to the, the people that have been mentioned publicly as, as being suspects. All right, so you're saying that kind of behavior is not advised? Not, not in my opinion. It's not going to stop anybody from doing it, but um, you know, what is that like? Uh, I noticed when 
when they put out the new sketch last year in 2019, people, and, and I think we did too, actually, like we had a, like a, a couple of pictures on Twitter. We had the new sketch and we had a picture of, uh, I think it's Doug Williams, um, who's, uh, who's of the police there doing the police, uh, the, the press conference and people, some people will be like, oh, it's, it's him. It's, it's that guy. You know, it's like you put anybody next to a picture of the sketch and you're going to get that. And and that's the problem that the picture, number one, a, a composite, and we talk about this in the, in the podcast, obviously, but a composite isn't a, a digital picture of someone. It's somebody's recollection uh, of what that person looked like combined with an artist skill to recreate that. That's, that's what a sketch is. Things may be off. They may not be accurate, but it's the person's recollection of what, what they look like that created that composite so when you when you have somebody that looks really general you know uh, really average and you've got a bunch of other guys that look very similar you're going to have lots of people that look somewhat like that and and anybody that especially is trying to look at that that blurry blob of a picture and enhance that face and say hey this guy's face looks just like that there's i don't know how they're doing it because you can't you can't make that guy's face clearer if, if if that was the case if they could do that they'd enhance it and put the guy's actual photo out so anybody looking at that picture trying to strain their eyes to see something and then put it side by side with somebody's picture is just really doing a disservice morph 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 i've seen uh, numerous episodes of csi and ncis and i know for a fact that you can put a picture like that into any editing software uh draw a a, a shape around the image you want uh cleaned up and and made sharper and then it zooms in with like three clicks and it makes it sound like and then it uh and then it makes it uh clearer yeah i've seen this yeah i've seen that morph i've seen it a thousand times i wish and i wish that was real life but we all know that's not real life and if it was this guy would probably be identified by now but you know things like this don't get solved in a 60 minute episode no you're totally you're totally right and all kidding aside uh, the fact that that video even exists is just a testament to um, those two girls. And when we spoke to Kelsey about this, uh, I, I guess just seeing it uh, is is one thing, but then hearing her sister talk about it is another thing. How what what type of wherewithal it takes to uh, to know that this is a bad situation and you need to start filming on on your phone. Yeah, and 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 just imagine where this case would be if if Libby didn't take that phone out and start doing that. I mean, there'd be just probably nothing. They'd probably right. have really nothing to go on. Um, now, who knows? Maybe there 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 were people that saw this guy outside of the the you know that photo that she took. Really? That's that's where the composites come from. Oh, tell us about that. Well, uh, there there were people out there, and they they haven't released specific details about where they were or how they encountered the person but but some of the sketches and i think it's the 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 one that was released uh later uh, i believe that one was the one where somebody provided um the detail in that sketch as someone they saw and and police for whatever reason feel confident that that one is accurate which is, which is weird because the first sketch in that sketch to me looked nothing alike but again hey um the first one didn't result in anybody being identified. So, you know, can it really hurt to, to show people this new sketch that might be somebody that was suspicious? Maybe, maybe it can't. Yeah. It's, it looks like a lot younger of a suspect. It looks like a guy in his twenties um, versus the first composite that was released where it kind of looked like more of a guy in his fifties or something like that. 
And I, 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 it seems like the, in the wide shot of, of the suspect, it looks like a guy in his 50s, but it's probably just because of baggy clothes and a big coat. So I don't know. Yeah, tough to tough to gauge an age from that. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, a lot of kids wear baggy clothes. You know, I wear baggy clothes. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do, especially when they're out walking around the woods. You want to be comfortable. You want to be able to move around and stuff. Probably wearing an extra you know, flannel jacket, hoods, stuff like that. So it's really hard to gauge that. But, you know, my guess personally is that he's over 30. I don't think he's in his 20s based on what I see or what I hear. His voice to me doesn't sound like somebody in their 20s. Yeah. But again, that's all that's all open to opinion, I guess. Right. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Did uh, you speak with police, Indiana State Police, on this? So we did. We actually we actually reached out to a couple different departments, and in the end, it was Kelsey that sat down with um, Officer Carter, um, and we've got a lot of really good sound bites from her discussion with him, uh, which which is really cool. They talk about some very interesting stuff and how the case has affected them personally and things they experienced. Um, mm during the whole ordeal from, from the beginning to, to where they are now. So it's, I don't want to spoil, spoil too much, but uh, they get into some really interesting things and, and you'll, you'll hear that on the podcast. Yeah. And that's uh superintendent, Doug Carter. I think I called him a different name earlier. Yeah. There's so many different officers in that case that it's hard to uh, um, keep them all sorted out. Morph earlier, you said that gray Hughes, your partner in this uh, he's paying attention and, and, uh, deciphering uh, information about, uh, did you say like distances, the footage between certain things? Uh, are you talking about like specifically the crime scene? Yeah. So it, not necessarily the crime scene itself, because there's, you know, there's only, you know, there's pictures that have been really sort of after the fact of the area where that took place. And I think some of them are online. You can see some uh, crime scene tape, that kind of stuff. But his expertise is, involves things with video enhancement, uh, that kind of stuff, digital media. So he was able to do like 3D, uh, you know, recreations based on uh, trees, uh, where trees are c- in comparison to where the the, vision, the the person's walking on the bridge. Uh, he took some kind of sun software that tells based on that sunlight where what time it was precisely. So he's doing things that I can't even, you know, you know, I'm not really tech savvy, so he's doing all these things to help tell us, okay, it was this specific time. We know they were dropped off at this time, uh, that he went looking for them at this time. So he's able to help us recreate a, a very tight window and and sort of play out how things went down on, on a timeline, uh, which was one thing that was he really brought to the podcast. Oh, very cool. And how do you think that contributes to the case itself? Is there any information that that he gives to you or to um, or to, to anybody that, that he finds contributes to some movement uh, in another direction or, or any anything related to the case? Well, one thing he, he does is he helps 
dismiss some things, some things, if somebody says, well, what if at so-and-so time this happened or that happened based on what he's able to put together, we can know that that doesn't fit within that time, that, that time window. Um, so that makes things a, a little bit tighter from, from that perspective. And he doesn't, uh, he gets a little bit of a bad reputation for being blunt because he, you know, if somebody says, Hey, uh, uh, Bigfoot came down in a spaceship and kidnapped somebody and brought him up into the spaceship and took off. Couldn't that have happened? You know, and some of some people like to entertain them and say, yeah, it could have. Gray's just like, no, that didn't happen. And he sort of gets a reputation uh -oh. for being blunt and to the point and not, you know, coddling the people. So, um, so he's very, very precise, very, uh, message oriented in, in saying this is what happened and, and not entertaining things that we'd know not to be true. Well, I, I hope you didn't tell him your Bigfoot story then that could be, uh... I know speaking of Bigfoot, <laughs> I need to sneak, sneak Bigfoot into this conversation. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I thought we were going to use this episode as the announcement, uh, our, our joint show, uh, where, where Tim and I are sitting in our studio and you're reporting from the field, uh, out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, through through the, uh, the oh no the tall <laughs> no no what it's much closer it's it's right in Morph's backyard in uh, in Jersey my, yeah my encounter <laughs> the, the Pine Barrens my Bigfoot encounter not to get too far off off topic happened probably ten minutes from my house so it's pretty close we'll uh, catch up on this offline as part of your production with this case do you ever plan on going to uh, going to the bridge going to that location to the scene because uh, you were just talking about uh, Gray Hughes doing these uh, 3D recreations. Has there been any consideration to go there, take pictures and, uh, and, and get like a, like a real life, uh, you know, hands-on application. When, when we started doing the production, there's a little bit of discussion about maybe doing that up front. And we ultimately decided not to, we didn't have to. So I haven't been there. Gray hasn't been there. I mean, I wouldn't rule out, going there in the future for some kind of uh research or project but as of now we haven't gone there and we don't have any immediate plans to go there yeah because you don't see any immediate need now i mean like i said everything's been documented from the investigation standpoint gray's done his work and and, and getting that stuff detailed um so short of just being there at the scene I, I don't know that that would necessarily add anything and for one, I'm not walking across that bridge. Number one, I don't even think they let you anymore. <laughs> I think it's off off the. Uh, uh, they're not letting you go across there anymore. But even if they did, I'm not walking across it. So, close. Best I could do is get up close to it and look at it, and then say, "Okay, that's that's the bridge." Yeah, I'm afraid of heights. So, not yeah, I mean, to, to call to call that bridge rickety is probably yeah. a compliment. Big guys and rickety bridges just don't go together. Are you hoping for a break in the case with the podcast? I'd love to see that. Um, you know, obviously that's when you do one of these podcasts, you're hopeful that something that you're putting out there leads to something. Um, our mission, like I said, I, I was surprised that not everybody in this country knew about this case. Uh, yeah. The families have done a good job of staying out there and staying public and going to crime con and doing interviews and going on Dr. Phil and all this other stuff. And with all that, there's just still people that don't know about it. So we hope to reach a, a broader audience and really get this in front of a lot more people across the country and, you know, around the world, too, to just where there's more people out there that talk about it, that know about it, 
and maybe share it on their social media. And then somebody maybe that doesn't know about the case, something clicks and says, hey, that sounds like so-and-so, or I recognize that voice or something like that. And then who knows, maybe the right person hears it and comes forward with some information. Are you going to present theories or something like that uh, at the end or any, anything to uh, to shake the uh, the apple tree up? No, we, we really don't want to go down that road. Um, you know, we, we discuss some probabilities based on the evidence, based on the crime scene, things that are, are likely, things that maybe the police have alluded to. Um, but we don't really put our own theories out there about what happened and how things happened. We sort of just wanted to be factual and, and stick as close to the to the known facts as we could. Have you been working at all with any local groups that have done any searches uh, in that area as far as like looking for, for clues? Because I'm, I'm assuming that they have groups that work that area, uh, independent groups. We haven't. I actually reached out to the historical uh, society there um, to just get a little bit more information about the, the trails and the area and the bridge. Um, they didn't respond. So we, we went on without them, but um, we do have uh, a couple different searchers that were there, uh, or let me rephrase it. We have a searcher that was there during the search that day. Uh, and of course, Kelsey was there in the search too. So we, they sort of exchanged what happened and what they experienced during the search and what they encountered when they were out there. Okay. I see. And was there anything significant that came out of that? There's some things that are said, other searchers find some things that, and they holler back to the rest of the searchers and word trickles down to, to Kelsey. And, um, and then eventually when the girls are found, there's, uh, a pretty unique way of, of how they were actually found. Um, but that's all stuff that we go into in detail as far as um, precisely what happened and how it unfolded. Uh, and people will hear that in the, in the podcast. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. Are you doing a season two? And uh, are, are you, what is what would that look like? So season one is seven episodes. Um, season two, uh, we are going to do a season two. We're slated to. And it's it's going to be a different case. Um, we've got some ideas for a different case, but we don't want to lay anything out there until we have something solid. But hopefully that'll be out this summer. Um, and we're excited about that to see how season one does. And hopefully season two um, is received well. And if, if and trust me, if there's any kind of uh, arrest or any breaks in, in the Delphi case, we'll come back with an episode in between to do an update about it too. Yeah. I was just going to say that in, in between uh, the seasons or even like mid season, you'd have a, you'd have an update. I, I would imagine if one uh, came about, came your way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and nothing would be cooler than to have an episode saying that the guy's identified and here's who it is. And he's found under what, whatever rock he's hiding under. Yeah. Do you think that he's local? Do you think he's still in the area? I I think he's I, I think well I don't know if he's still in there maybe he moved or something I think he was from that area or had some kind of connection to it maybe worked there or had lived there before I don't think he just showed up on a whim uh, out of thin air and decided I'm going to drive 500 miles and wind up in this spot that day I think he knew that area and had been out there my gut feeling is and this is just I don't have any information about this it's just my gut feeling is that he saw. Kelsey dropped the girls off at the trail 
and happened to see an opportunity and took it. Um, that's what I think personally happened. So that he was triggered at that moment. Yeah, I think he was probably a predator that had thought about doing that stuff before. Maybe he was actively looking for victims and just happened to see two young girls go, you know, down this trail without any um, adults. It'd be in a secluded area, and maybe he just saw an opportunity and took it. Have you or any one of your team looked into uh, crimes within a certain radius of that area, within a certain time frame? Because if he's considering it and this uh, became his first one, I would imagine that maybe uh, there there could be something, um, you know, a few months later or, uh, you know, maybe even an attack a few months before. We, we did. We did look at that. We As a matter of fact, we go into, uh, in one of the episodes, we talk about a case that happens in... Um, Iowa that police thought might have been connected um and and we explore that a little bit um and we also you know sort of along those lines we have a um a, an expert who uh, deals with a lot of child abductions child murders that kind of thing um Dr. Catherine Brown her name is um she she discusses with us in detail about how rare the uh incidents of child murders are or how rare they're they're committed by strangers um she talks about abductions and how it's almost unheard of that two people can be abducted at the same time um by a stranger um so it, it really adds a great deal of insight and we have other experts on we have uh um, from the dna doe project we have colleen fitzger uh fitzpatrick excuse me um and we have paul holes on uh, he discusses uh, a lot of the in-depth DNA uh, work um, because this case may hinge on DNA. That might ultimately be what solves it. So we really wanted to give people a good understanding of of the terms and, and how DNA could help this case possibly. Well, that's interesting. So um, so I take it they, they believe they have uh, DNA from the killer. Uh, they're, they're being tight lipped about it. So that's a yes. <laughs> they're being, Hey, I'm not saying yes. I'm just, they're, well, they're being tight lipped. Yeah. They're being tight lipped yeah. about what they have, what they don't have. Um, I think Kelsey and other members of the families have said publicly that they have given DNA for different reasons. So if you read between the lines, it, it tells me they have some yeah. kind of DNA, um, how strong it is how far it leads them. I don't know that, but, um, to me, I think there's something there, at least something to, to start working with anyways. Yeah. The guy must not be in CODIS if they have his DNA. So he's, he hasn't committed a, a violent crime before this apparently, or been caught for it, I should say. Yeah. And, and I, well, another possibility is, and again, I'm not a DNA expert. Yes, you are. Stop it. Paul Holes is, is God, helpful with so, this stuff. You're so modest. It's annoying. <laughs> but they, they may have not a strong enough sample to make a full profile of. Right. It might just be enough to, to if they had somebody's one-on-one to compare it against to say, no, this doesn't match. Um, I don't know how much they would have to be able to do different things as far as build profiles or put it in databases, that kind of thing. You know what you should uh, do, and we can help you, uh, organize some kind of uh, DNA sub uh you know submittal day or something like that down in in that area in that immediate area of delphi indiana uh submit your dna to uh jed match and uh yeah make it a big public spectacle whoever doesn't do it is uh why not 
Yeah, it, it it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. I think that would be uh, thinking outside the box, and that's probably something that needs to be done. So you said that the family has given DNA. I think uh, that's that's out there. You're not, um, you know, giving any spoilers away with that. Uh, this is probably something that they did to eliminate uh, to eliminate, uh, I guess, DNA that was already there that might have been from the victims. Yeah, and and this is something we touch on in the podcast a great deal about too, is because let's face it, these girls lived in homes with other people. Their their DNA is going to be probably on their clothes, so they they have to eliminate them. They have to say, okay, this DNA belongs to this person, and so on, and eliminate as much as they can. And if they're left with any foreign DNA anywhere that doesn't belong to anyone in the circle, then that's you know possibly from from the killer. Well, once again, you have done uh, amazing work on on these cold cases or these open cases, bringing justice. What do you have any? Uh, can you hint at any cases that you're looking at for season two? I, I would say it would be a, a case that's going to be a well known case, a bigger case that most people have heard of. Um, so beyond that, I couldn't really say too much because I don't. I don't even know for sure. We've tossed around a couple names, but just nothing nothing beyond that okay thanks for listening everybody and here is a quick clip from scene of the crime to take us out of the episode coming up in season one of scene of the crime delphi why libby why abby why Delphi? Those girls loved each other. They were good friends. Neither one of them left each other's side. Both those girls are heroes. Before the words came out, I knew. I knew this was not good. As soon as I saw that, I knew something really bad happened. The detectives were like, this is not going to take that long. It's a small town. Somebody's going to say something, and this is all going to be over soon. The first couple of weeks, that's what it felt like, is that any day now. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. My biggest fear is that whoever did this would do it again. I don't want that to happen to another family, because I'm telling you, it's hell. There was no logical reason anybody would have known those girls or be there that day. Child abduction murders in and of themselves are incredibly rare, but the abduction of two children at one time is even rarer. I've only seen a couple in my entire career. There is a lot of crime scene evidence. Uh, some of it is somewhat odd. Shortly after solving the Golden State Killer case, I did speak with an investigator that was involved with the Delphi murders. If you haven't walked across the bridge, you don't understand, right? Yeah, like that bridge but is scary. It is scary, and those railroad ties are rotted. That bridge scares me, so yeah. for somebody to be able to cross it, he's moving well enough that he has to know the bridge. He's done that before. It could have been any one of our kids. It could have been anyone at the bridge that day. It's hard for me to believe anybody could do something so bizarre and horrible and not feel compelled to tell somebody about it. Those two young girls were everybody's daughter. I refuse to accept evil as a standard bearer in American society. I believe we're one piece of the puzzle away from figuring out who this individual is. To the killer who may be in this room. Do you want to know what we know? And one day, you will. You've just listened to a short preview of Scene of the Crime Season 1, Delphi. Be sure to subscribe right now wherever you listen to podcasts.